as a church, we're moving forward, we're taking the future. And as we move forward, we've got guidelines or, or foundations that God wants to make sure that SIBKL has set before we move forward and take the future. In your lives, you're at different stages, whatever it may be, but you're always moving forward. I hope none of us are moving backwards and none of us are regressing, but we're always moving forward and we've always got to make sure that we've got the foundations set. And that was what Moses was doing with Israel when he was giving them Deuteronomy. I have to set foundations. I have to make sure that you have these foundations set so that as you move forward, you will move well. And so last week when Pastor Jeremy, this is the one I was following, um, Pastor Jeremy shared about Deuteronomy 5. He was talking about, and, and, and Moses was um, relating to them, reminding them about the Ten Commandments. And he said, at the, at the bottom line is twofold. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so they're setting foundations. And so I'm going to move on from what Pastor Jeremy was talking about or what Deuteronomy 5 was talking about and go with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. So I want to encourage you, now that you've come back physically, if you've brought your physical Bibles with you, don't bother with what's on the screen. Just open up your physical Bibles and read along with me. All right? It, for those of you who did not, it's there. Don't worry. But we're going to go through Deuteronomy 6 today and basically build on the foundation that God is setting for Israel before they move forward and take their future. And then go, how does that apply in my own life? today. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 to 3. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, everybody say, hear therefore. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Father, even as we look at Deuteronomy 6 and just allow ourselves to... to, to let your words speak into our lives. I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak, convict, touch, and pierce our hearts as much as you pierced mine, Father. As, as, I, as I looked at this chapter and looked at my own life, I pray that we will do the same and that you will do the same in our lives so that as we move forward and we take the future in, in whatever circumstances and journeys that we take, Lord, this foundation will be set so strongly in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 to 3. Now, at some point, because Deuteronomy is such a long word, um, I may, my, my tongue might jumble it up. Forgive me. That's all I'm saying, all right? Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 to 3. Now, you've read that. We've read that now. And, and I just want to say something here. You know, um, when I was a student uh, uh, in school, learning English, um, I learned... Uh, the five W's. Let me remember what the five W's are. Nope, don't know, not sure what I'm talking about. Never mind. Uh, once I say it, I'm sure you all know. Lah. All right? The five interrogative words uh, that we learned when I, was in, when, when, when I was a student was who, what, where, when, why. Who, what, where, when, why. 
These are the five main interrogative words that allow you to ask questions in order to get the information you want. I know there are a few others, W's like, you know, uh, which and whose and whether and when's, you know, uh, when's this come from, you know, the kind of thing. So, uh, but the five main ones are who, what, where, when, why. And when you look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 1 to 3, you would see that as far as Moses is concerned, having gone through Deuteronomy 5 and talking about the Ten Commandments and dealing with all of that, he then says, well, there you go. These are the commandments, the statutes, and the rules. That's the what. What do I obey? The commandments, the statutes, the rules. Where do I obey them? In the land to which you are going over. Right, so that's there in, in, in the first three verses. Who is to obey them? You, your son, and your son's son. And, and by that, they mean children's children. Huh? So your daughters are not exempt. Okay? So you, your son, and your son's son. All right? When do I obey them? All the days of your life. And of course, all the days of your son's lives and all the days of your son's son's lives. And it's supposed to go generationally down. So all the days of your life. Why do I obey them? Well, so that your days may be long that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly. And so that's, that's essentially Deuteronomy 6 verse 1 to 3. It basically answers every single question that anybody might have with regards to obedience to the commandments and the laws. Who is supposed to obey them? What is supposed to be obeyed? Where do I obey them? When do I obey them? And why do I obey them? Very important because you've always got to know the why behind the what. Right? If you just know the who, what, where, when, and have no basis for it or no reason for it, then what's the point of doing it? And so these five questions were answered. And for most of us, if not all of us, we stop here. We stop here because that's all we need to know. Right? So now that you know, you go and obey, go and obey, do the laws, follow the laws. That's all, right? And even for our general lives, you know, uh, let me give you an example. If you're a parent with young kids, like myself, um, I think you will resonate with me. If you are slightly older or you know your kids have grown up already and you, you listen to this story, just smile and say, Wayan, that's your rite of passage lah. for the next five to ten years of your life. Just uh, hold it in and go through it. Anyway, if your parents are young kids and you want them to finish their dinner, all right, you want them to finish their dinner, um, you, you give them the instruction, right? So eat your food. What is it you're supposed to do? Eat your food. Who is supposed to do it? Obviously, you lah. All right, I'm talking to my kids, right? So you, I'm not my wife lah, my wife, no problem. My kids, right? You finish your food, eat your food. So what, who, where, here, at this table, don't go goofing around, running around, playing your toys and then come back and the kind of thing, right? So where, here, at this place, please don't move around. If you go and create a mess, create it here, not elsewhere, all right? Um, when, now, okay, fine, 30 minutes. Okay, fine, like one hour, all right? Like, give you some time, all right? So just when? Th this period, all right? Uh, why? As a parent, and if you're in your best behavior, the why is because it's nutritious for you, law, because it's good for you, uh, because, you know, it makes you grow strong and healthy. Um, but if you, if you are, like, really upset and you want to get all your house chores done, it's because I need to wash the dishes, la, faster finish it up, la. All right, um, so, so these are the whys, right? So the who, the what, the where, the when, and the why. And once you're done with that, you basically tell your kids, eat your food. Lah. That's all. That's all you need to know, right? No more questions, just finish your food. Right? 
And that's the same for doing practically any instruction, for that matter. For example, don't smoke, don't do drugs, um, drive safely. Uh, my kids love origami, and so if I teach them, you know, you fold the origami straight according to those lines and make it sharp, right? That, that's all you need to know, who, what, where, when, why. Right? Come to church, read your Bible, pray every day. Five interrogative words would answer every single question that you would have about these instructions. But apparently, Moses, speaking in the inspiration that God gives to him, obviously, felt this is not enough. I can't just answer these five questions for them. What would the nation of Israel look like if all they had were these five answers to obeying the law? On a good day, they will look like legalistic policemen. Right? Very simple. Who is supposed to obey? You lah! Where? Here? When? Now? Why? Oh, sorry. Who, where, where, when? Why? Sorry, last one. So last one, why? Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 3 already says, ma. Right? If as a nation we want to live long in this land and we don't want to get conquered by some other people, if as a nation we want to why don't it go well with us, then you better follow. Ah. You better follow, I better follow, everybody better follow. If you don't follow, and if the strength of the team is based on the strength of this weakest link, then you are going to be causing all of us to go down. So we set laws, we make sure everything is done, and, 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 and if you don't follow, we will punish you. We will make sure all these things are sorted out so that it will go well with us. Answer these five questions on a good day, you would be pretty legalistic. But if you don't have these five questions answered, or on a bad day, when one of those days you realize, ah, yeah, so far it's not been really going well with us, right? So why should I follow? Worship some other god, lah. Then you become anarchists. I don't want to follow these laws. I don't care about these laws anymore. So on a good day, very legalistic. On a bad day, anarchists. And Moses realizes this, and he says, and of course with the inspiration of God and what God wants to tell them, he's saying, this is not it. These five W's don't answer the, don't answer the question thoroughly. And for all of you who were studying English last time, and if you are English teachers, I'm sure you did a great job. You didn't just teach them the five W's. Sometimes when you look at all the W's, you will see that there is an H right next to the W. Who, what, where, when, why. And sometimes the H just needs to come out of its own shell, step out of these words and become its own word and leave the W behind. And so we have the word how. And we learned this, we learned this, the five W's and the one H. And the one H is what we're going to look at today. How. Well, the reason I say this is because I want to give you guys a, 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 a framework in which I think Deuteronomy 6 can be seen as. When we answer these five W's, we say, okay, the law is good. The law is great. We must follow it. We should follow it because of all these benefits that come with it. But what Moses and God is telling us is that even if you follow these five W's, there are foundations that, not, that have not been fully set yet. And when we, once we set these foundations, then all these five W's make sense. All these things that we do in terms of obeying the law and the commandments make sense. Let me give you the food example again. As a parent of young kids, there are times in our lives, not, not very often, when we put the food at the table 
and we say our prayers, we, we say thanks to God for the food, and then they start eating it, and then the kids go, they, they, the kids eat it, and they're like, mmm. And then they look at mom, because mom cooks the food, I can't cook to save my life, um, and go, thank you, mommy. I love the food. How many of you have ever had that experience in your life? As a parent? Yes. Okay, so these are all the senior ones. You remember them, you know. You remember them for life or no? Because some of the people who are raising their hands, I know, are not very young. Um, very, very well in the Lord. Um, but they've raised their hands. You know when your kids look at you and go, thank you, mom, I love the food. And without telling them, eat your food, you now here at this table and give you so many reasons why the food is good. They wallop it. They finish it and I have no qualms. You can chit-chat and talk. They will still come back to your food and take the next scoop. And, and then my, I will look at my wife and my wife will look at me. We'll smile at each other and you see the sparkle in her eye and, you, and, and we both say, the kids love it. The kids love it. And at that very moment, we have come to this irreducible foundation that basically says, I don't have to drum in the five W's because they've come to a point where they love their food. At least that night. Uh, this is what we did yesterday, okay? Just to, just to give ourselves more peace. We went to the M. Okay, the M, Yeah. Drive through M. I have no problems after that. Don't have to say, eat your food. Don't have to say, do it now. Don't have to say, don't run around. They were like, mm, daddy, thank you. But they love the food. I mean, it's not great, right? It's not nutritious. Uh, I can't use that W with them yesterday. But, uh, but I didn't have to. I didn't have to. Because they love their food. Question now is this. We've got all these laws. The Torah itself has 600 over laws. We know what these are. We know who's supposed to obey them, where we're supposed to obey them, when we're supposed to obey them, and why we're supposed to obey them. But just because we know these five W's doesn't drive us to obey them. And so Moses tells Israel, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5. If the question is, how do I obey the law? Moses says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Can I ask you to repeat this with me? We're going to do this a few times throughout this sermon. Repeat this with me on account of one, two, three. One, Two, three. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so he starts off after finishing off Deuteronomy one six. Uh, sorry, Deuteronomy six verse one to three, with all the five Ws, and then he says, "Hear, O Israel." There are three things I want to share with you about this. Um, that we want to go through and understand and then see why this is the answer to the how of obedience, the how of obeying the law. The first one is this, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. 
The word here there in the Hebrew is Shema. Shema. And that's where we get this title for these two verses, which is known as the Shema Yisrael, which basically means hear, O Israel. And the Shema, the word Shema is the word for hear. But the word Shema isn't just the word for hear. So it's, it is the word for hear in terms of the function of your ear. So for example, when the Bible, when it says that the eyes that hear, and the, sorry, the eyes that see and the ears that hear, the Lord made them both. That hearing, that function is Shema. But it also means to listen. And you will find that in, in Scripture, there, in, in English version, um, there is the word hear and the word listen to draw some sort of distinction between just hearing and actually listening, meaning hearing attentively. Like actually, I'm not just hearing some sound, I'm actually listening to you and paying attention to what you are saying. So we've moved on from just the function, we've moved on to it being attentive, but here's what's really interesting. In Hebrew, the word for obey you want to guess? Shema. The word for obey is Shema. So Shema is not just hear, it's not just listen, it's obey. So for example, if I were to tell my kids, listen, uh, I want you to pack up your toys now in five minutes. And they say, okay, I have heard and I will do it. If they were to speak to me in Hebrew, they would say, I Shema. That's it. I hear attentively, and I obey. And that's what Shema actually is. You want me to show you some Bible proof? I, went, I actually went looking for it, right? Um, and you realize in the word obey is the word Shema. For example, in Exodus, Moses is going to Pharaoh and he's saying, let my people go. Pharaoh, not obviously speaking, he wasn't speaking Hebrew, obviously, but he was speaking Egyptian, but when it was written down in Hebrew, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? I mean, this fella that you're talking about, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know this Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. The word obey, in, when it was written down in Hebrew, is Shema. So who is the Lord that I should Shema him? Who is the Lord that I should obey? So you've got the word Shema, which is hear, hear attentively to listen, and also to obey, meaning this. When the Israelites hear, hear, O Israel, is not just, yeah, yeah, okay, just say whatever you want to say. No, it's hear attentively and do it. Listening and doing come together in Shema. And that was why when God pronounced judgment on the Israelites, He would say, for example, the prophets, they have ears, but they're not listening. Ears to hear, but they're not listening. That's because they're not listening attentively and they're not listening and obeying. And that was why the judgment was pronounced on them. Yeah, I heard that, you know, we, we, we do this every day. We're supposed to remind ourselves, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Sorry, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God, blah, blah, blah. I've, I've heard these things. But it also means obey. It also means listen attentively and obey. So I want to encourage you when you go back, and I'll do this again, I'll make the same encouragement. I'll ask you to repeat the Shema. Just those two verses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord 
is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Do this. Like literally, do this. Say it out loud. Repeat it. Listen to it. Listen attentively. Close your eyes. Meditate on it. And then walk out of wherever you're doing your secret place into the world that you're in, reminding yourself that the Lord, my God, the Lord is one. I shall love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. See how that changes your life. Because when they did that, whenever they did that, it changed the cause of Israel. Whenever they did not do that, you see that in the prophets. They have ears to hear, but they were not listening. They were not obeying. Shema. That's the first one. The second one is this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Just to be very specific, I want to encourage you to look at the word Lord. It's pronounced, sorry, not spelled, it's spelled L-O-R-D in all capital letters. All right? And in some of your Bibles, especially the physical ones, you can look at the start, at the introduction, and they will tell you why Lord is spelled three ways. L-O-R-D, all capitals. L capital, small O-R-D. And then L-O-R-D, all small letters. All right? So let's go with the bottom one first. L-O-R-D, all small letters, is just, for example, when, I, when, when a wife refers to her husband as my Lord. And so you will see that sometimes, I think that conversation between David and Abigail. And uh, Abigail is trying to appease David because her husband uh, was quite a pain in, uh, to, to David and his men. And he says, oh, please forgive me because my Lord, my husband, um, has done this to you, right? And so that's L-O-R-D, small letters. Then there's capital L, small O-R-D, which is what is known in, in, the, in, in the Hebrew as Adonai, which refers to the Lord, the Lord in, in terms of who God is, but in His character as sovereign Lord, the one over all, the one whose, whose will and whose, whose mastery over things. And so we, we recognize Him as Adonai. But when you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is the divine name of God. It's not a reference to sovereign Lord. It's not a reference to just, you know, master. It is the divine name of God known as YHWH, which we pronounce, although respectfully, Yahweh. And so what we're saying here when we say the Lord is God and we say Yahweh Elohim, the God who is supreme, that's what Elohim means, the God who is supreme, and Yahweh Echad, which means the Lord is one, the Lord is united, unified, and, and, and elements of the Trinity show itself in there. But basically, one above all else, one who is supreme, that Lord is our God. And so if I flip it backwards, I'm basically saying the supreme one is our God. Our God, not any God. Not our material possessions, not our lives, not our bosses, not our... Um, polit political leaders, not any spiritual being, the supreme one, the supreme creator, the king of all kings. We worshipped God with that phrase just now. The king of all kings, the Lord of lords, the one and only Elohim, supreme, master, above all, is our God. 
very personal, very revealed. The I am. When God first raised that name to Moses at the burning bush, that was what he said. This is how you will call me. I am. I was, I am, and I will be. Who was and who is and who is to come. That's who I am. It's kind of like saying, in a very personal way, who's your father? And I say, my daddy is my father. My daddy, my personal, my personal relationship with this person, that person that I have a personal relationship with, takes on this function as father, takes on this role or this position as father. Who is your supreme one? That's the first part of the Shema. You're not even talking about love the Lord your God yet, no. We're talking about who do you declare as the person who is supreme in your life, as the person or the thing or the issue that is supreme in your life. Is it Yahweh? Is it the Lord our God? Is it the God who has revealed Himself to you through the Word and through experience and through encounters with Him and you look at it and go, that's my God. That's the supreme one. That's the supreme one in my life. He's not just supreme as creator and, and master of everything that happens on the earth. He's supreme in my life. That's my God. And that's what Israel was declaring collectively as a nation. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You've got the Shema here, O Israel. You've got the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And then you have love, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The Hebrew for love is ahava. It's, 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 it's almost like saying I have a, all right? But it's ahava. All right? And an ahava is a general word to describe all kinds of love. Um, there are other words to, to, to describe the kind of love, like hesed, which is an everlasting love, an everlasting kindness. Um, but the word used here is ahava. And what Ahava basically describes is strong feelings of love. And so, for example, when, uh, if you've, you know the story of Hosea the prophet, and, and Hosea uh, marries this lady who's a prostitute, um, and, and then she leaves him and, and he pursues her, God then tells Hosea, that's the kind of love I have for Israel. I have a strong Ahava for my people. I have a strong love for Israel. Not just strong love, it includes strong action. So because I love Israel so much, I will do this for Israel. Because Hosea loved his wife so much, he would pursue her even though she left him, she deserted him. And so there's a strong love and a strong action. And I, and I looked this up and I said, look, give me an example of this in other ways, right? Jacob and Rachel. Jacob falls in love with Rachel. We realize because the word Ahava is used, he's not just having a crush on her. He's not like, oh, this girl is very pretty. Uh. Maybe one day I'll chat her up. No, but he, he, the Bible tells us he really had an Ahava for Rachel. An Ahava so much that he would work 14 years for his father-in-law to get her. Now that's not just strong feelings of love. It is strong action that, coupled, that is coupled with that feeling. So he's driven by it. Give you an example in Deuteronomy 10. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 18 and 19, 
uh, it talks about God's heart for the sojourner, God's heart for the alien, the foreigner. And he says, I will execute justice for the widow and the fatherless, but for foreigner, I love the foreigner. And as a result of that, you are also to love the foreigner because you were like that in Egypt. And how did God couple his love with his action for the foreigners in Egypt? By delivering them with great power, with great mind against all the gods of Egypt and bringing them out and turning them into an entire nation, spending all that time with them because of his great ahava for them. Love. And so you ahava the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The second part of the whole Shema is essentially this. That's who our God is. Our response is to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. I just want to point this out. In the Shema itself, it's not two sentences. All right? let's, let's look at the colon and, and, and just put it there. Right? Hear, O Israel, colon, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One sentence. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Second sentence. That's in the English version. But when you read the Hebrew, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, comma, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your might, so, so with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Point being this, it's one sentence. It comes together. You don't split one and two and go, I shall love the Lord my God. I start off with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and I shall love the Lord my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. Put it together. It's a unified whole in terms of who God is, in terms of our response, and in terms of making sure we meditate on this point day and night. Hear, O Israel. So Moses' answer to how do I obey the law, I know the five W's, but how do I obey the law, is essentially this, to love the Lord. To love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your might. And just like kids who love their food don't need to be pushed to follow the laws, if I love the Lord, I don't need to repeat the five W's to you all the time. If I love the Lord, if we all love the Lord, we're going to say, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to do what, holds, what God holds dear to his heart, and I'm going to obey. I'm going to do this because I love the Lord. So we're going to go again and, and, and look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5. Can we repeat this together? If, if you've already memorized it, and I'm sure you can, close your eyes and let's do this together, shall we? Let's repeat the Shema together. One, two, three. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. I mean, I know it says heart, soul, and mind, but essentially it's all about all of your being loving the Lord. Because you can come to me and go, well, Wayan, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 is just another instruction. Nah. It's an instruction just like the other 600 instructions that we are supposed to learn from Leviticus, Numbers, and, and, and Exodus. And so it's just an extra instruction. Nah. What makes this instruction different from the rest? What makes this statement different from the rest? And the answer is this, relationship. Relationship. 
You see, there's nothing wrong with this 600 other instructions. What's wrong with, with this whole issue is the problem of our hearts. Right? When we look at the 600 instructions, and we look at, I mean, I'm a lawyer, right? So you look at all the different laws that we have in this land, quite often, quite often, especially if we don't get our why together, we're always looking at these as, and you know this phrase, rules were meant to be broken? Right? It's a very common phrase, like, ah, yeah, what's that for? Like, rules are meant to be broken. Uh. Or sometimes you follow them, but you try and scratch the boundaries a bit. Try and interpret the law in such a way that actually, hey, I can do this. Or, or the moment the law is lifted, yeah, yes, finally! I don't have to follow this anymore. And that's how we generally perceive laws. They generally look at rules. And that's a problem of the heart. Because you may know the whys. You may know it's safe for you, it's good for you, it's, it's, it's for national security, it's for public order, whatever it is. You may know the whys, but it never boils down to the heart. It never gets down to your heart. So the difference between this one and the 600 is relationship. And when it is relationship, your heart comes into the picture. What relationship does is it conveys heartstone laws onto hearts of flesh. It conveys all these laws that we're supposed to learn and go, actually, the way it is going to be lived out, the way it's going to be followed, the way it's going to be practiced out is only when your hearts, your hearts of flesh are drawn to the Lord, are drawn in love and in relationship to the Lord. Why? Deuteronomy 6 verse 6. After saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might, it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your stone. No, not on the tablets anymore, not on parchments, on your heart. We've moved from paper or parchment, papyrus for that matter, papyrus and tablets or stone, and said, now the words that I command you today will not be things you see, it's things that grip you things that go right to your heart. Think of a law that you've held close to your heart, that you would defend at all costs because it is so close to you. I can't think of any. Sometimes I'm waiting for the rule to be lifted so that I don't have to do what that rule initially stopped me from doing. Because I hold to my heart what I value the most. In Matthew 6, that famous phrase, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If your heart, and if you, if you treasure the Lord, if you love the Lord, and that's where your heart is, these laws will con be conveyed from heart stone into your heart of flesh. Because what God holds dear, you hold dear. The relationship that God has with you now becomes so much a part of you that when you love the Lord, you're like, I don't need to get drummed in with the five W's anymore. I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. I'm going to obey. And so it boils down to your heart. It boils down to relationship. And where does that relationship come from? Where does that relationship start? Two things I want to say about relationship. Relationship begins with encounter. Relationship begins with encounter. Because that's what Moses had. He had a relationship with God. And so when he talked about these laws and he talked about you shall love the Lord your God, he was walking it. I'm not saying he's perfect but he was walking in a relationship with God that enabled him, gave him the authority and the credibility to say, you shall, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
your soul and your mind. Joshua had a relationship with God and he followed the laws. And he could call Israel to renew the covenant and say, we will follow the Lord. We will love the Lord. We will obey the Lord. David, David had this one huge psalm, 119, talking about how beautiful the laws of the Lord are. And he uses all the different, literally all the different kinds of Hebrew words for laws. Precepts, commandments, statute, rules. Every kind of English word for commandments and laws is used in Psalm 119. And he says, it's beautiful. How wonderful, how precious are your laws. Why? Because he's got relationship. He is a man after God's own heart. I'm not physically chasing the heart. My heart is after God's heart. My relationship with God enables me to see how beautiful the laws are, how wonderful they are, how desirable it is to obey the Lord. And so I have, because of that relationship and because it deals with my heart, I now look at all those laws and go, it's awesome, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The first point I want to raise is this. Relationship begins with encounter. Relationship begins with encounter. You don't see this in Deuteronomy 6, but you will see this in Deuteronomy 4 and 5. Because what God shows to Israel at the start is himself. After revealing himself to Moses, he reveals himself to Israel in Egypt and says, this is who I am. I am, capital I, capital A, capital M. I am. And I am is here to deliver you from Egypt, from your suffering, because I love you, and they have this direct encounter because of the power and the majesty of God shown in Egypt, and they go, wow, this is God. They have this encounter, God brings them out, they see the Red Sea part, he brings them through the Red Sea, brings them to Mount Sinai, and they, they, they see God. They know who. They have this encounter with God. They're still growing in their knowledge of God, obviously, but they, they're, they're having this encounter with God, an encounter of love, an encounter of protection, an encounter of the reality of who God is with lightning and thunder and dark clouds and, and in power. They have all of that encounter before they even talk about who they love. And this is what God does for us. God brings us to encounters with Him. I know this because when I grew up, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are wonderful believers, and they really, you know, in, in, in their understanding of Deuteronomy 6 verse 7, trained us up in the Lord and helped us to remember the Word of God and, and do all of that and memorize and and, and so I grew up in a very wonderful environment to knowing the Lord. But it was only when I was 13 years old, and I, and I remember this because this is exactly 25 years ago, March of 1997. And, and in March of 1997, I was at a Christian meeting in school. It was a Christian fellowship meeting. And by that time, I had, you know, I've memorized stuff. I've learned about the Word of God. I've read the Bible through, um, things like that. Back in those days, you know, in my first 13 years of my life. But I was, I was there at this Christian fellowship meeting, and I can't remember what my, my teacher advisor said or, or, or taught at that time, um, but there was an altar call. Uh, an altar call is basically a call for response, right? And so I responded to it, 
and, and I was prayed for, and I was on the floor. So I was slain and I was on the floor. And at that very moment, God encountered me. He encountered me in a way that I've never experienced before. Now, I, when I was a kid, and I see these people get prayed for and then they get slain, I, I would ask my mom, Mom, what like that one? Uh? All right? Like, this is funny. This is weird, you know? And so, and so forgive me, Lord. I've tried it myself. I go up there and see what happens. I was a kid, all right? So I tried, and so, and so this is not, the, my point is this, this is not the first time I've ever experienced this, but I, I, I felt this, 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 this um, sense of, of like a, a force on me, and then I, I just fell back and I was on the floor, and as I was on the floor, God encountered me. And I still remember it to this day. It was almost like I was, um, you know how people like just douse water on you, right? So it just felt like that, but emotionally, right? It was just like, poof. It's sort of like I'm lying on the beach and the wave just hits you, right? It just goes poof on you, right? And that was what was happening to me. But obviously not, not actual water, but in my heart, I was just feeling these waves of, 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 now I know this because God, told, God spoke to me during that moment, but waves of love just crashing over me. So it's like an emotional thing. It was a very powerful emotional thing. I started crying because I was like, boom, love, you know, boom, love, you know, that kind of thing. And, and as I was experiencing that, God was saying, son, I love you. I love you. I love you. And that was literally all that I heard from God that day. I love you. I love you. I love you. And this emotional welling up inside of me, it's like, boom, boom, I love you. I love you. Nah, kasih satu lagi. Boom, I love you. And I was feeling all of that. And my only response, because either that's the only thing I knew what to say, or the only thing I should ever say, or, or the only emotional response to that was this, I will love you. I will follow you. I love you. I follow you. I love you. I follow you. I love you. I mean, if I can experience that power of love greater than any love that I've experienced before and till today. If that experience of love comes from a God who loves me, I want to follow this God. I remember that day because if, you, if anybody asked me when did you become born again, I would mention that day. Because I asked my mom last time, mom, when did I receive Christ? And my mom said, every Sunday, Sunday school, so you receive Christ. Every time teachers say, how many want to follow Jesus? I will. But that day was my decision. That day was, was my encounter with God. That day, my relationship with God, in a sense, began. I have learned. It was built up. It was built up. And then I experienced God and I go, actually, this is real. This is real. And I love this God. I want to follow this God. And I want to follow Him with all of my heart. Church, the call to loving engagement with the one who loves us starts off with this encounter with God. And I know why you came to know Jesus, why you decided to follow Jesus. For those of you here who are believers today, it's because of an encounter with God. Because God came to you, God chose you, God picked you and, and, and said, I love you and I want to show myself to you. Whatever that encounter is, it could be a healing it could be an experience like mine. It could be, you know, I was perfectly fine. I mean, in the sense that I wasn't going through a crisis in my life at that point. But God presents himself to you and says, I love you and this is who I am and you have seen nothing like this. And I want to show you that I want called you, that I've called you out of my love for you and I want to deliver you from sin into, dark, into light, from darkness into light, from sin into freedom. 
and into relationship with me. And for many of you, you said, yes, Lord, I will follow. I will love you. That was me at 13 years old. 25 years ago, and I remember this because my daughter was asking me, oh, Daddy, you know uh, a lot of titles to Christian songs. Eh? And I said, well, I've been a Christian for, then I counted, 25. Exactly, because this conversation was last month. 25 to the month. And I realized, wow, I praise God. I have this relationship with God. <laughs> praise the Lord. Relationship begins with encounter. But the second one is this. Relationship is built in environment. Meaning this, if you started a relationship with someone and you want to build that relationship, you spend time cultivating the environment in order to build this relationship. And so when I started dating my wife, I had to order my life around so that I get time to court her. I get time to spend time with her. Right? If I want to spend time with my kids, I order my life around so that I can do that. I build myself an environment, and I cultivate the environment so that I can build this relationship. Because all of you know that you can have this relationship at one point and then friends leave. Seasons change. And, and that relationship that you once had isn't very strong because the environment didn't cultivate it. And so for those of you who have been or who are still in long-distance relationships, you know what that means. You order your life around so that you can build this relationship. The same for God. God can encounter you and you can say, yes, I love you. Yes, I will follow you. But you've got to build an environment that cultivates this relationship, that builds this relationship. And so God says three things in Deuteronomy 6 as to how we build this relationship. First of all, repeat the Shema. And that's why I want to encourage you. We're going to do this a couple of times, but not, not right now. But the first point is this, repeat the Shema. And this one, all Israel knew what to do. Because up to this day, they repeat the Shema. They repeat the Shema day and night, in the morning and at night, and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Sorry, let me rephrase. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And they meditate on it. They remember it and they meditate on it. Why? Because what that is, is, is a reminder. It's always a reminder. I, I, I look at my mom and I know I'm supposed to eat my veggie. She doesn't have to say anything because she's been nagging me for it for years. Mom, I'll see you tonight. We'll have good dinner. Um, but but I, I, you know, it's, it's become a household joke, right? Um, every time she cooks vegetables, I go, hey, but I'll eat it. Um, but that's because she's been reminding me and reminding me. Now the question is, can you remind yourself to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Not just because of that, but because the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Meditate on this. Listen attentively and obey. Repeat the Shema. Second one is this. Reset your environment. I say reset because I think a lot of times when you look at our own lives, the environment isn't that kind. But we want to reset our environment. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 to 9. It says this, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And I'm, just, I'm going to come back to this in a bit as one example because see, there's so many things in Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Sorry, Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 to 9. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Basically, fill your life. Fill your surroundings with the law of the Lord. 
Fill your surroundings and set the environment so that you will build in your relationship with God and in your obedience to what God has called you to. So when I grew up, the, the way my mom did this was she would print out the um, Bible passages and put them on the fridge door. So if you want to go and get your goodies, you go and read Psalm 91. <laughs> the Lord, uh, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will... That was my life, all right? Um, and it was, I mean, now you look at it and you go, it's fun. And, and that's how I remembered those things, right? But basically, fill your life in an environment where you cultivate this relationship with the Lord. I want to say this about this teaching. I used to teach. And, and this, is, this is my regret. I, and if you're, and you're a teacher, especially if you uh, teach in, 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 well, in my case, I, I taught in university. But when, when you're a teacher, uh, immediately after, and this is what I did, I taught immediately after I graduated, right? And, and some of the subjects that I was teaching were final year subjects. So I'm literally teaching my one-year juniors, right? Um, but I went through so much in my preparation for my teaching that I realized I should have done this when I was in third year. I should have done this and I would have been, I've scored a lot better because I've, you know, now I've prepared it and I've understood it and I've, I've grasped it, I've asked the questions and the issues and all of that and I should have done this when I was in my third year. My point is this, when you teach them diligently to your children, you're not just receiving, you're actually teaching. I want to say this to parents who are like myself, you've got young kids and you're growing up, especially at that moment. You teach them to your children and let them grow and let them learn let them experience. But as you are teaching, you are also developing it in your own mind. Because now you've developed it in such a way that you can teach them, that you can show them, that you can explain it to them. And as you are ex able to explain it to them, it becomes clearer to you. And that's very important because not just are we raising the next generation, we're building ourselves as well. And, and that's what I want to encourage you to do. Look through and understand what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And then teach that to your kids. Teach that to your kids. Remind them. And as they do, and as you do, don't force it on them because this lesson of that is for you as well. As I teach and as I build and as I train and as I diligently do this, I am also growing. I am also learning. It is also becoming clearer. The reminders are becoming even more clearer in my own life. Third one is this. Remember the testimonies. Because when your kid comes to you, Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 to 25, when your kid comes to you and says, Dad, why do we still have to follow all these laws? Why do we still have to follow all these commandments? You tell them this. Verse 21. You shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us this land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. Three things. Repeat the Shema as a reminder, as a meditation in our own hearts. Second, reset your environment 
in order to cultivate this relationship. And thirdly, remember the testimonies. Remember who God is and what He's done in your life. Because as you do that, as you remember, you go, this is a God who has been building this relationship with me. As, 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 as the prophet said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Some of you as, as fathers, when, when, when I see my kid running up to me, um, I move as well. Like, I think the father, as in the father, would have done the same. Why? Because that's the story of the prodigal son, right? The son comes back, the father runs. And I enjoy this. And so there is this momentum. And, and that momentum ends not with an accident, but with me carrying my kid. And go, yes! Point being this, we have a relationship. When the child draws near, we draw near as well. And so not just are you resetting your environment and building that environment and that relationship, God is doing the same. God is drawing close to you. God is reaching out to you. God is speaking to you. God is enabling you to hear and to listen and to learn and to know His heart. And that's the relationship we build. And that's what it means when you ahava the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. What happens when I love the Lord? Two things. And this you see in Deuteronomy 6. The first one is this. When all is good, you don't forget. This is, this is Deuteronomy 6, verse 10 to 15. It says there, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, that means God fulfills His promises, with great and good cities that you did not build. Didn't build, huh? You only just conquered them. You did not build the cities. Houses full of good things that you did not fill. Cisterns that you did not dig. Wells, water, you didn't have to work for it, you, it's there. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. Again, you didn't have to work for it, it's there, it's yours now. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God, you shall fear him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Point being this, when you've received your blessings, when you enjoy the blessings that God has given you, and you know, I know, I know all of you work, all of you earn uh, an income, you bring an income home. You're called the breadwinner. You, 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 you have this amount that sometimes you say it commensurates with your work. Sometimes you say it overcommensurates. Sometimes it doesn't. But my point is this. Whatever it is that you've put your hands to, God blesses you. And whatever it is that you have not yet put your hands to, God still bless you. And that was what happened to Israel. They walked, into, they walked into this nation or this whole land. They fought and they conquered also with the power of God. And then they enter into these lands and these homes and these vineyards and these this, this wells that they did not have to work for. And so the point being here is this. When God blesses you, do you remember Him? You would if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The second one is this. When things don't look so good, do not test. So when all is good, you don't forget but because you love the Lord, when all is not good, you don't test. It says there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, 
It says that do not test the Lord, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massah. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But you shall diligently, you still, keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord so that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord had promised. What happened in Massah? Massah is the story where there was, where there was grumbling because of water, no water. There was a grumbling with Israel and because all was not well, because there was no water and there was no well, um, they, they started grumbling against Moses. This, and this is what they said. And if you look at this in, uh, in, in, in Exodus, they said, where is the Lord? Is the Lord among us? Because if the Lord is among us, why are we like this? The Lord is therefore not among us. And so that question was a sarcastic response to what they were going through. They were saying, is the Lord really among us? That is the test that they put to the Lord. Now, the short end of that story is that Moses struck the rock, water came out. That was the first incident. That was fine. The, the, the second one is one that was problematic. But Moses struck the rock and the water came out because of the instruction God gave to Moses. So they had water. The Lord was really with them. But their attitude, their heart was this. Is the Lord really among us? My encouragement to you, church, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. When it goes well with you, you won't forget. When it doesn't go well with you, you remember that God is still with you and you don't test. You don't go, is the Lord really with us? Church, I'm going to ask us to repeat the Shema one more time. But before I do, I want to end with a story in the Gospel. This incident took place, actually, to be correct, probably on the Saturday or the Friday before Palm Sunday. So we're close to about that time. And this is the conversation he had. A rich young man came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Rabbi said, Wow, you call me good. There is only one who is good. But let's move on with this conversation. Well, what are you supposed to do to have eternal life? Follow the commandments. And the rich young man says, Well, what commandments am I supposed to follow? Mind you, he's a rich young man. Some of you know this story. You know where I'm going with this. But follow with me. A rich young man. And he said, well, Jesus said, well, you know, um, these are the commandments that I think you should follow. I'll just name them out some for you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not lie or bear false witness. Honour your father and mother. And then at one point he goes, I think this is what was running through Jesus' mind. Because he missed out, do not covet, which is one of the ten commandments in terms of loving your neighbour as yourself. So he says this, um, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father, mother. And then he goes, okay, on the overall, just you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Lah. And the rich young man says, all these I have done since I was young. Not bad. Not bad. And then Jesus said, well, okay, if you would be perfect, if you want eternal life, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And you, come, follow me. 
the verse there, Genesis 9, sorry, Matthew 19, verse 22 says, When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There are two groups of people in this story. The first one is the rich young man. The rich young man is a person who has obeyed the laws, all 600 of them probably. He's been diligently obeying the laws. He's been diligently following them. And God has blessed him. He's rich. He's got a lot of material possessions. He's, he's got all of this to him and, 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 and he's enjoying it. And, and yet something is missing and he goes to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? And what Jesus is telling him is a practical step, but it deals with something right at the root of what is going on. The question is, what do you love? Who is your supreme one? Is it the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or is it your possessions? And so Jesus then tells him, well, in order to figure this out, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you come follow me. Meaning this, if you do this, then I know for sure that you've loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now Jesus knows, but the question was a test to the rich young man. What would his response be? Where is his heart? What relationship does he really have with God? Was it a legalistic kind of way where he's like, I just follow the laws, I'll be fine. Because if that was the case, why would he have to go to Jesus and go, what must I do to have eternal life? Was he looking for affirmation? Or was he looking for an answer? And if the answer that he gets from this good teacher is deal with your heart for your possessions, then the question is, do I really love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind? And his response was he went away sorrowful because he had his heart stuck to his possessions. His supreme one is not Yahweh. His supreme one was his stuff. That's the first group. The second group though is the disciples. They're listening to Jesus telling the rich young man this story. And when the rich young man went away, the disciples were like, wow, like that how? Like that how? And Jesus says, yes, I know. It's not easy. It's easier, and he uses this expression, for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than from a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But then Peter says this at the end, and this I think is very encouraging because I know deep in my heart, and God has given us a wonderful church, that a lot of you are like the disciples. And Peter says, Rabbi, we have left everything to follow you. We have left everything to follow you. Does it make the disciples perfect? No. At some point they deny, and at some point they're still struggling with their love for God. But they have left everything to follow Jesus. They've placed their lives into the hands of their teacher. They've placed their belongings away, aside, so that they can follow this teacher because they love him and they want to follow him. Church, I don't know where you stand. Whether you're the rich young man, you're like the disciple because disciples are not perfect mind you this is just one example of them learning to know what it means to love the Lord the rich young man that was his example that was his test of learning to love the Lord
And even though there's a journey that we take and sometimes we're very well aware of the times that we may forget the Lord. Today, Father, we want to renew our commitment, our covenant with you and say, Lord, we love you. We want to love you with all of our hearts. We want to love you with all of our soul. We want to love you with all of our might. And God, as we walk out of this hall today, may we always remind ourselves to hear, to hear, O Israel, your life, my life, to hear, Wayan, the Lord my God, the Lord is one, and I shall love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my might. And Lord, may you change the course of our lives into our destiny, into authority, into joy, peace, and hope because we have a relationship with you that enables us to follow you obey you and live our lives for your glory and so Lord may you be exalted may you always be the Lord our Elohim the Lord who is one our God our Yahweh we thank you God in Jesus name we pray Amen let's just give God glory Amen Amen